It's first page feedback time. Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. And today's episode is the segment that used to be called back in the days when this podcast was a blog in the barber's chair. We take the first 250 words of a listener's story and we look at ways of making it better. I said I'd do one of these episodes for a while, so here it is. Before we get into it, let me say that you can submit your own work to be featured on a future show, either via my website, timclapper.co.uk. Just uh, click on the contact me link. You can use that to email me too, to say hi, etc. Or you can hop onto the Death of a Thousand Cuts Discord server. There's a link to that in the description of today's episode. We talk about books and writing and there's a whole channel within the server where you can share your work with other members and flag it as a potential submission for the podcast. And that's where I got today's extract. Finally, if you like the show, I have a coffee page. It's uh, like Patreon, but with a different name. It's how I fund the show. Listeners just chucking me a few beans every so often at the kindness of their farts. It's at um, ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. Again, there's a link under today's episode, as well as links to buy at least one of my books, uh, including the latest one, Coward, Why We Get Anxious and What We Can Do About It. That's my non-fiction book. I really appreciate it when people check those out because you get a thing and I can continue doing my job as well. So thank you so much. Right, I'm all done. Let's go then. This piece is titled Across the Sand and it's by Jess. Sullivan One. I hope whatever happened last night will be worth Killian's rage this morning. Staggering from Ville's Tavern, each plink of the neon sign throbs behind my eyes. The V and the S have died in the night, and the last letters splutter red light over the neighbouring bars and smoke shops, steel shutters closed and rattling in the wind. My phone's stripped for parts by now and some skewhead's wearing my jacket. Oh, they've sold it. I would. I tug my sleeves over my fists, tuck them in my armpits. A woman in a wool cloak stoops over clingweed sprouting from beneath her bar. She ignores me and burns off the seed heads with a lighter. No one else around. Wind lashes along the strip. I brace an arm across my face and head towards the port. If I'm lucky, I'll make the early shuttle. Moss Pharmacy's sign swings off a hinge and clatters against the wall. Rusted sheet metal slashes past my head and skates across the ground. Silene, moon of Cacus. If it's true we're all devoid of emotion, only the worst of us would live here. I drag my body round the corner and scuffle to avoid a man slumped face down in the road. At least I have the sense to be inside when I fall into a skew coma. Hey, I nudge his leg with my toe. Come on, you'll freeze. A blast of wind carries an acrid stench. I lean close to inspect the burn hole in the back of his coat. He's younger than me. Marble eyes, one ashen cheek moulded to the dust. Just another night on the moon. I apologise if I pronounced Cacus or Caesus or... There's many ways that I could approach that and uh, apologies if I got that wrong. Here are my thoughts. I hope whatever happened last night will be worth Killian's rage this morning. Right, so 
we've been away from for some time. Back to basics. Uh, in general, for memorable, impactful prose, you want to end each sentence with the most important word and begin it with the second most important. I've referred to this in the past as the primacy recency effect. It's a thing in psychology about what we retain, but really that's just slapping a dubious sciencey veneer over it. There's lots of issues with supposed effects in psychology anyway without me sort of misappropriating it for creative writing what i'm saying is broadly speaking it's good when a sentence closes with a word you want to emphasize that's just basic rhythm right we don't need to add psychology jargon over the top that's how line breaks work in poetry you know i I finished the previous sentence with emphasize i finished the next one with poetry the last word before the full stop is a natural pause and so we focus on it a bit more it doesn't really we don't have to invent some complicated psychological explanation for that it's just true because it's the last thing you hear right and this is not an absolute rule uh but neither is it a norm or a trend or a fashionable fashionable habit i know in the hellscape that is online writing discourse people will occasionally lash out at bits of writing advice like they are bonds that are constraining your right as a as an author to be creative no this is a principle right we can choose not to exploit it to create a certain effect but that result is non-negotiable it's always going to do something you don't have to do it but just like i don't know playing playing Dungeons and Dragons and and giving your wizard spellcaster heavy armour and putting all their points in strength and making them not very intelligent. You can do that. There's no rules against it, but they're not going to be a very effective spellcaster. Now, there might be some builds that that allow that to be effective, right? Um, And and the same is true here, right? You might be swimming slightly against the tide. You can do that. And there might be points you can do that really effectively, but I'm just laying out that this is definitely a principle and you have to be aware of it. So what are the most important, salient, interesting parts of that first sentence? Well, we have the introduction of a character's name, a proper noun, Killian. I'm afraid the name Killian is mainly associated in my head with the game show host antagonist of The Running Man and and that message broadcast on the, the screen towards the end of the movie, Killian is lying to you, but that's no reason not to use it. It's a perfectly reasonable, nice, normal name that I encounter i know a killian in real life so it's not a criticism it was just a an observation and an irrelevant semi-irrelevant observation at that so okay so we got killian and we've got rage that's a clear state there's some drama unless killian's rage is the equivalent of unless it's like a folk term the equivalent of like mother's ruin i don't know if like i hope whatever happened last night will be worth killian's rage in the morning whether killian's rage this morning but the killian's rage is like a it's like a slang term for a hangover or a come down. I don't think it is, but it, just in case. But um, we've got Killian, we've got Rage. Um, oh, um, I'd suggest that the first person pronoun I is important too in this sentence because it establishes we're being told this by a narrator. So I, Killian and Rage. They're the most important bits of the sentence and they're all nouns. The rest of the sentence is devoted to what I think of as grammatical cartilage and abstract words. Whatever happened, this will be worth. Now, I want to be clear, these aren't bad words. They're not forbidden. Um, But quite a few are words showing the relationships between things. And then others are referring to more abstract concepts like night, morning, hope. And and the kind of relative concepts as well, night and morning. They're not the 
it, it, they're not the t- they're, they're, they're the something that with last night and this morning. Now you might well quite reasonably counter that rage is just as abstract as hope. Um, but here the narrator isn't pondering hope, the concept, hope, the feeling. They're using it in the colloquial weaker sense of an outcome they'd quite like to happen. I hope whatever you know, it's 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 it's, it's much less emphasised. There is nothing. And I mean zero in this first sentence for our five sentences to glom onto. Uh, I hope whatever happened last night, that could happen in any, that sentence could exist in any story, will be worth, again, could exist in any story. Killian's, okay, so slightly refining rage this morning. Okay, this could be any genre. We don't have any location. We don't have any physicality whatsoever. Okay, we don't have any objects any we don't have any establishing of a narrative present this is why i bang on about concrete nouns so much and exciting the reader's five senses we are sensory creatures this isn't a law you won't get shot for ignoring it but look let's return to the sentence i hope whatever happened last night will be worth killian's rage this morning how does it end this morning that's not a resonant or interesting part of the sentence you know what is killian's rage I mean, I do wonder whether introducing a character with the trait rage and calling him Killian is one step away from calling him Murdertron. Um, But that aside, there's so much in this sentence that adjusts, hedges and qualifies and establishes relationships between things. Like another thing I've often said is establish the narrative present, right? I just said that. Again, you don't always have to do this, but if in doubt, it's a good strategy at the beginning of a story. So when is the action of this sentence happening? I hope that's now. Okay. I hope whatever happened. Okay. That's in the past. Last night. So specifically last night in the past will be worth. Okay. So now we we're catapulted into the future. Killian's rage doesn't exist in any time because it's just a concept this morning. So back to the present. Wow. What a mess. I, I feel like I dropped my brain into a bread maker. We go present past specific past possible future close immediate future and present well it just no and again look you might go oh well but maybe that's actually a good effect tim because uh, the character is hung over or experiencing a drug come down maybe the prose should make the reader feel hung over too nice try but no or at least by all means make your sentence structure and images mangly and nauseating but they've got to be more than just a hassle at least, if you want to experiment with making the writing confusing and staggering, you need to start with simplicity, anchor the reader, because you're creating a world ex nihilo, right? You're, you're expanding out from nothing. This story could be literally anywhere, as far as the reader's concerned, when they sit down to read it, and about anything. So you, you need to give us like a basis and an anchor, and then you can go sprawling. Something like, Killian's going to be mad. Or maybe you don't start here at all. Let's look at the next sentence. Staggering from Ville's tavern, each plink of the neon sign throbs behind my eyes. So the problem here is you start with a fronted adverbial clause, staggering from Ville's tavern, which promises to modify the subject of the main clause. We read on. Each plink of the neon sign throbs. So the subject of the main clause is plink, and the main verb is throbs. Then you close with another adverbial phrase, behind my eyes, that's telling us where the throbbing takes place. The way you've phrased this, it sounds like the plink of the neon sign is staggering from Ville's tavern. 
The narrator doesn't exist in this sentence at all, except as the possessive my. This is more than me just doing some grammar pedantry, by the way. I maintain these expectations exist in the reader's head because that's how we've been trained to read language. And while we can understand what's meant after a couple of passes, I understand that the plink of the neon sign isn't staggering from Ville's Tavern because that's not something that's possible in the real world. Um, It, it snags us. It's, uh, it, it, it clunks. It trips. It doesn't quite make sense our brain tries to finish that sentence and things are po- arrows are pointing in the wrong direction and that ver- adverbial phrase on the end behind my eyes I'm, I'm not sure it's as interesting as the verb throbs i like that you've mentioned neon which starts giving us genre hints i'm not sold on the onomatopoeic noun plink i like i do think that's probably a noise that neon signs do make but maybe it just sounds a bit too light, too cartoonish. And also I think there's a bit of synesthetic confusion here where you're asking us to link a sound, plink, with a visual, the neon light, with pain, the throbbing. Those things all sort of mash together. I do feel much more grounded in this sentence than in the first one, though, despite some grammatical infelicities. I almost feel like swapping the order of these two first sentences would immediately, just on its own, make things a little clearer. I stagger from Ville's tavern. Each blink of the neon sign makes my skull throb. Killian's going to hit the roof. Or whatever. You know, at least that way round, we get location, character, feeling, and then story context. Anyway, next sentence. The V and S have died in the night. This feels like a joke that would work in a movie, but feels a bit laboured. Here, oh, it's going bing, bing, bing. It's saying ill. That's that in a in a film that's a nice Easter egg. In a comic that's a nice Easter egg. It here, I just feel like you're nudging me in the ribs a little bit. And the last letters splutter red light over neighbouring bars and smoke shops. Steel shutters closed and rattling in the wind. So I like the specificity here. My main note is to switch the clauses to make the progression feel more logical. The last letters splutter red light over the steel shutters of neighbouring bars and smoke shops. I do like the rattling in the wind, though, but I can't figure out how to work it into the reformulated version. The the issue is that red light is very visual. Neighbouring bars and smoke shops is just an abstract class of buildings, right? Whereas red light over steel shutters is a specific image. I can picture that. That immediately gives me a visual. And then you can... and, And then, look, it's fine to then go and say and explain and provide an exegesis on what you're describing. You don't always have to hide... You know, I know I talk about crunchy specificity. I said the phrase. I said the phrase. But but, um, I do think it's important that you just give us a visual reference. And neighbouring bars is... It's information, but it's not sensory information. Oh, by the way, you don't have to say the steel shutters are closed because the fact that we can see them implies that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be visible. My phone's stripped for parts by now and some skew heads wearing my jacket. Okay, so it took me a couple of reads to realise that these are referring to objects the character presumably doesn't have anymore, presumably that were lost or stolen during their bender. Um, The by now adverbial phrase feels like it comes too late in this sentence. It's kind of like squashed in the middle. My phone's stripped for parts. So I'm I'm immediately picturing a phone. 
Done. It's it's a phone that's been stripped for parts by now. So why don't they know? Oh, and some skew heads wearing my jacket. Oh, so I read it a second time. Oh, so they don't have their phone. So you've asked me to imagine a phone they don't have. That's just a notional phone. It's not in this scene. Uh, so I wonder whether you, if you said by now, my phone's probably been stripped for parts, right? Like, and then I understand that in a way that I would, I don't this way around. Um, and actually, all, all the action is, is is backwards here. We should see the narrator because also we want to, you you want to make sure that the narrator's thoughts track what's happening in the real world. If we're going to do proper stream of consciousness, right? If we're supposed to be in a narrative present with them, you want their thoughts to arise naturally from their environment and what they do. So we should see the narrator pat their pockets, maybe shiver and stick their fists under their armpits for warmth, then reflect that by now their bone has probably been stripped for parts and their jacket is on the back of some skew head, right? That's easier to pass, right? They're cold. Uh, Their jacket is probably someone else has got it now. Ah, uh, they, they they want to phone someone or to check the time. Ah, uh, pat, pat. Oh, their phone's, by now it's probably been stripped for parts, right? That's the way round that it would naturally come. And you've done it a bit backwards here. A woman in a wool cloak stoops over clingweed spouting, sp- sprouting from beneath her bar. She ignores me and burns off the seed heads with a lighter. No one else around. We don't have to specify she ignores me if in this scene she ignores the narrator, which she does. You're just describing an absence. You might as well add she doesn't hum the theme tune from sorry at me. Uh, You also don't have to specify that there's no one else around if you haven't described anyone. That's what we're going to assume unless you describe people. Like, I I think you can, you're very, it's very inefficient to spend a, uh, a, a scene describing what isn't there. Because also then you're asking, it also just, it ends up being making for very like fluffy naff writing uh, because you're asking the reader to imagine something and then rub it out, <laughs> which is so such a weird. It's like there, there were no red balloons. Well, now I'm picturing red balloons and then I've got to put like X's through all of them. It's just, it, and I look, look I, I, I want to, in, in case it sounds like I'm being mean, I'm not because I do this all the time. And so does every human being who writes. We, we like go, there was no, there were, there were no sounds in the cave. Well, don't say that then. You know, I do, I do this all the time. So I'm, do, I'm, I'm laughing because out of solidarity, not out of scorn. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just recognizing a peer doing the same thing that I do. But look, overall, there are some great details in this bit. That's what I want to get round to, right? I love the clingweed. That's a great term. Does that feels, oh, it's cool. Um, the small bar, you know, she's got this little bar. It reminds me of the like little bars we have in at Norwich Market. There's like miniature bars that are just like individual stalls that open up in the evening. Um, and especially the burning of seed heads with a lighter. That's like a cool detail. That makes, that makes the moon feel real to me. What an odd way for the, but I, I think in the same way as, you know, as much has been written about, and I've mentioned this before, the very detailed description of the lady, uh, the painting of the lady with the sort of fur muffler at the beginning of Kafka's Metamorphosis. Nothing to do with the story, but it's in the room when Gregor Samsa wakes up and it's described. And it's just like a mundane detail that makes us believe that maybe he could be a big insect. And I just, it's just a good detail. 
I was like, yes, that's the what it's visual. And I wonder, is it too much to ask you to sort of add the sort of acrid smell of those things, uh, seed heads burning? Do they kind of get picked up on the wind, or is there kind of like a crackling sound as as, it, as each one pops under the lighter's flame? I don't, I'm not, you know, I don't want to make you gild the lily too much, but it's genuine. I, I, I just wonder. It's just a thought. It's genuinely terrific, though. I, I still feel like that first sentence would punch harder if it ended on clingweed, not bar. But overall, this feels like your world springing to life. It's genuinely strong writing and makes me feel excited about this piece and this world. I like it. Which is, this is why we edit, right? Like Because clearly, here is some excellent writing and some of the other writing around it is not as excellent. But that's always the case, especially with an opening scene. All my openings to my books are absolutely diarrhoea. They're just like a cup of diarrhoea that's gone tepid. It's not even ice cold or piping hot. It's just lukewarm liquid poo. And it and it's awful. And it doesn't sound like... And, and it, I, it's why I find writing so hard, because I start off and, it, and I write really bad. And I go, this isn't, this doesn't read like it's by a person who knows what they're doing. Um... But you keep going and then you hit your stride and then you just fix or remove the less good writing and it raises the average standard. <laughs> and then it looks like you knew what you were doing all along, right? The whole enterprise of the piece rises to a new level. You go, you know, and this is why you kind of look at a piece and I'll go, oh, it's, it's not working. Oh, I hate this. And actually just some bits aren't working. And when you take out the bits that aren't working, when you fix the bits that aren't working, the whole thing kind of lifts up to the standard of its best moments. And suddenly a piece of writing can go from being bad and, and, and correctly assessed as not working to like good. And you're like, oh, wow, what a, what a sudden and startling change. And this is why I'm really lucky to, you know, work with you know, my agent and professional editors who will just kind of work, walk me through that process because I don't know what I'm doing. I know I say it all the time and people think I'm being modest, but I, don't, I haven't got a clue, really. You know, I can talk about the technical things, but it doesn't mean that it, this gets put into practice when I write my own stuff. When I write my own stuff, it comes out bad and all we can try and do is be kind to ourselves, stick at it and then hope that later on we can fix it. And that never feels very comforting when I am trying to fix it. You know, I, I, I think, well, other writers say that the first drafts are always rubbish, but this is unpublishable. And and it's a fight I have with myself every time. So I, I just want to say, you know, like your good bits are really good. <laughs> like that, the, And that's all, that, that's all that needs to happen in a first draft. You have a couple of bits that go, ooh. And then you go, okay, well, those there are... These are our North Stars. The, this is like our mood board of what we want. We, we can take a swatch of like what it should sound like and let's just make the other stuff match that, which is doable, right? Then it's like, oh, wow, now magically I'm producing this kick-ass story. Well, no, it's not magic. It's just a process. It's a process that can be learned. It's systematic. It's not terribly romantic. What I do on this podcast, what I've done on previous episodes, is just like walk you through it. It is slow and, and, and tedious, and you have to be prepared to do the work. I don't I don't suggest for a second this is an, uh, a, a quick process. You have to turn up it and there are a bunch of writers who still get published who don't who really don't care uh about their prose being they'll say oh it's not deathless prose but it's not even good it's not even 
particularly thoughtful for the reader, you know, and and you're allowed to do that. I, you know, you don't have to do all this and you could still write stuff that is of a standard that readers will enjoy. And some readers just genuinely aren't bothered by stuff like this. And that's fine. You know, you're allowed to do that. It doesn't make them worse readers. We can care about different things and we can come to writing for different things. But what I'm, all, I'm always going to push you towards is giving the reader the most buttery smooth experience uh letting them glide through your world and be immersed and feel this wonderful sense of picturing it and smelling it and being there and then every emotional beat is going to feel stronger because they're in the world right you know like and i i i i think writing at a professional standard or writing at a standard where you look back at it later and go that's neat i'm really proud of myself that this is available right this is available to you this is available to all of us it's not some nebulous product of talent you either have or you don't have it's a bunch of switches and dials and i hope by going through this i'm i'm helping you to see that it is available to you Wind lashes along the strip. I brace an arm across my face and head towards the port. If I'm lucky, I'll make the early shuttle. I like wind lashes along the strip. It's simple, gives a sense of where we are. Wind lashes along the strip. There's an adverb there, along. Uh, I guess that's an adverb, right? It's describing how the wind lashes. Well, Along the strip is the adverbial phrase, right? Wind lashes along the strip. That's a really simple sentence overall, though. One little bit of description and then a noun, a subject and a verb. And I really recommend and advocate for and um, I'm a zealot for really alternating between short, clear, low detail sentences and long, high detail ones. I know some folks bulk at that kind of prescriptiveness when it comes to style, but try it out. You'll see. And it's nice to have these little visual, these little anchors let's take a breather and then you can go into something that's a little bit more textured um i'm not sure how i feel about i brace an arm across my face it's a weird way to say i shield my eyes uh it it, it just seems a little bit external and a little bit robotic imagine using that phrase in real life oh the sun's really dazzling me oh don't worry mate just brace an arm across your face and it, it might be the use of an arm rather than although although it'd be weird to specify my arm who who else's arm is it going to be it's just it's just odd it just feels like slightly infelicitous phrasing i feel like there might be a more flavorable interesting way of saying if i'm lucky i'll make the early shuttle now i don't know if i'm lucky sounds a little bit it's just it, 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 it just sounds a little twee compared to the rest of it it, it, it sounds like a i don't know it sounds like a a bright-eyed protagonist in a in a musical rushing to an audition or something I, I, I do also wonder if port and shuttle feel like they might have less generic terms i'm not asking you to sort of overdo it but the bar was vill's bar right like, you didn't give it like a weird slang term for a bar um because you didn't need to but you called it a we gave it a proper noun it was a it's a place it's a location there's only one of them vill's bar right mightn't this be a port or shuttle terminal with a name right and and does the early shuttle have a name or a nickname or even if it's just the time that it leaves i i guess maybe i'd like the narrator to say something like also here uh 
if I run, I'll make the early shuttle, or I might just make it if I take a shortcut, or something like that. Those aren't great examples, but what I'm trying to get at is something that sets up a challenge they can overcome with a bit of a push, a risk, an exertion, rather than if I'm if I'm lucky, if because you know also like they've been seems like they're you know they're a bit down on their luck, so it's a weird thing to evoke, and I, I just would like them to see that it's at least in their hands you know if they maybe if they sprint flat out which they're going to find difficult because they're feeling absolutely hanging um maybe if they sprint flat out um they'll they'll make it before it takes off or something like that that so basically it's in it's a little bit in their hands right so right from the off we're watching them make decisions in response to a difficulty we want to make them like make decisions um and, and and that's going to naturally build our investment in the character moss pharmacy sign swings off a hinge and clatters against the wall rusted sheet metal slashes past my head and skates across the ground yeah you know what i'm going to say here i i like this i like that you named it moss pharmacy that doesn't give us any in additional information i'm not sure it's going to matter that it's called that but i believe there's a wider world here because the pharmacy has a name and, and maybe it mildly implies the character has frequented this pharmacy more than once um and it certainly makes them familiar with the area uh, but mostly it just makes the world feel lived in and textured and, and that sounds silly to just call it moss pharmacy rather than a pharmacy but i, I think it works um the sheet metal bit feels slightly more generic and Across the ground feels like a weak way to end the sentence, but with a bit of revision, and maybe the metal could be recognisably a piece of something, you know, that suggests tech or decay. I don't know, a, an a, adver, a, a, advertisement hoarding, advertisement hoarding, I don't know how you pronounce that, a, a panel from a, a shuttle or, or whatever, you know, something that's a bit of something rather than just cheap metal feels like, you, you know, it's the equivalent of a, a wooden crate in the corner of a third-person shooter like video game environment it's just a bit generic i drag my body around the corner no you don't you walk don't be afraid to walk it's not a crime uh that the narrator isn't a sack of king edwards come on i just think like let's not worry about oh no i can't say walk it's too boring we know all right we know that they don't drag their body around the corner like they're, they're walking and scuffle to avoid a man slumped face down in the road to scuffle is to get into a small fight this seems like a weird way to avoid a body i'm not sure you need to specify in the road either the narrator isn't going to have to avoid a man face down in the sky or up a tree and again in the road is by far the most boring part of a sentence where they've just stumbled over a body i, I just also feel the narrator should be less bothered by this i i don't mean emotionally completely emotionally indifferent to it because you know i, I realize part of this moment make us have some empathy with them or make them seem a little bit in relative terms heroic but um if you want to continue this theme of decay decay and neglect have the narrator smoothly step over the body as if they were expecting it or have them be ready for it in some way because you know there are always people slumped in the street at this time of day i i, I just think it would be nice if this isn't you know they're not, they're not like Whoa! but rather that this is sadly a kind of endemic to what's going on in this area i, I mean I, I like that the narrator stops to try to wake the person up a little hint of compassion there building us a sense our sense that they're 
at some level a good person you know under it all that that, that, that and and i think that's why it might be worth emphasizing before that if they hurry they can make the shuttle because that makes this decision to stop to pause you know even though they're just nudging the person with their toe like they, they clearly want this person to be all right and they're choosing to delay when it might make them miss their shuttle and i think that just that feels more meaningful and that tension you could just emphasize slightly i must admit i wasn't sure what to make of the bit about silene and emotionlessness i didn't really understand that and maybe that's fine but it felt a bit early i i I really didn't like the just another night on the moon uh line which feels a bit corny and noirish and not in a good way also it it just feels super out of character for the narrator to at various points sort of reflect that they're on a moon like the shuttle is enough we get there's a shuttle there's a few hints of sf we can figure out that they're on a moon later but we know roughly that there's space travel right if you must add something give us like a weird atmosphere or slight changing gravity or stars overhead or however this moon is set up but don't be all like this is life on the moon you moon around till one day you wind up mooned like it none of this is a big deal to the narrator this is just their habitual environment right and it will all have more impact if you keep their focus on do you remember killian (laughs) that's how they've seen it opened right like he's going to be super grumpy they need to get to that shuttle to not exacerbate that and then they find this body in there right so that should be the tension and we 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 don't have them reflect on you know I, i guess the moon is the moon is a harsh mistress because when you're on the moon moon's the limit you know don't do that right that's all for today that's all i have and all i can give you and all i care to give you as well thank you jess i appreciate your hard work and your submission and i wish you all the best with your writing and possibly your revisions if you choose to revise this um all of this is just my opinions though i'm not the book police so ignore me if you prefer and um my genuine uh appreciation and admiration for the bits of that that were terrific Everyone listening, you can support the show through my coffee page, buy my books, what I've written. Join us on the Discord server for with comments and your feedback and your loveliness. And most of all, I hope you have a wonderful week of writing. <laughs>